0: You are Locked On College Football, your daily podcast on all things college football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: Welcome to Locked on College Football, the weekly podcast that highlights the biggest stories in the college football world. Each day you'll have a new host sharing the latest news and giving their hottest takes. Now on Mondays, you'll have me, Candace Cooper, host of Locked on Tar Heels podcast, leading this talented team. Do yourself a favor, download and subscribe to Locked on College Football from anywhere you listen to podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by BuildBar. Go to buildbar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your next order. So here's what I have on tap for you today. I'm going to talk to Locked on Auburn host Zach Blackerby about Saturday's, you know, lopsided game a little bit against Georgia. More importantly, we're going to talk about what the look of the SEC is like now that they've been back for two weeks. How has the conference really taken the college football war by storm? So we're going to discuss that. I'll have Locked on Cougars podcast host Jake Hatch in the building talking to me about the BYU Cougars and how everyone seems to be sleeping on them a bit. But we're going to talk about why the BYU team should be acknowledged in the top 25 and why they're here to stay and do big things. Finally, I get to talk to Locked on Aggies host Cole Thompson about Texas A&M and how the up and down season might be the final call for Jimbo Fisher here. Let's discuss his thoughts on what will actually go down there over in college college station so let's get right into it shall we we have zach blackberry from locked on auburn who's going to talk to me about the auburn tigers more importantly
2: about the sec so let's get things rolling zach how are you hey candace i'm doing okay all things <laughs> considering that uh you know that primetime matchup it's easy to get excited for but hey whoo that was uh that was rough to watch
1: yeah Now listen watching saturday's game did you realize there were going to be that many fans in athens and if so how do you feel about all those fans who didn't wear masks?
2: Um, I love fans in the stadium. Um, you know, yeah. of course you want them all to be responsible. You don't want anybody to get hurt or, you know, cause other people to get hurt, but right. it was nice watching from a distance, kind of seeing, you know, an electric atmosphere. It's probably the most electric atmosphere that we've seen so far in sports Yes, in 2020. Um, you know, obviously you hope it doesn't lead to some kind of, you know, negative outbreak, uh, you know, throughout <laughs> Athens or something like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was cool to watch. It was cool to kind of feel that energy for sure. Absolutely. Now, when it comes
1: to the SEC and getting things rolling, I feel like the SEC is back in a sense. We're back to some games that have the rivalry feel and all that. How are you feeling overall from an SEC standpoint
2: with their football season so far? Yeah, from the SEC standpoint, I mean, we're, we're two weeks into it now. And, yep. you know, we've already seen a, a crazy amount of different ups and downs from pretty much every team in the conference, including, right. you know, Georgia. They they looked really rough against Arkansas. and They turn around and have a great showing against Auburn. Auburn looked really good against Kentucky, looked bad against Georgia. And he, I mean, even LSU, you know, you're expecting it to look great. And then, you know, they, they get blown up by Mississippi State. They bounce back, uh, you know, this past weekend. Mississippi State looked great. Then they lost to Arkansas. So, I mean, all kinds of stuff, you know, ups and downs for all these teams. Yeah. There's really only been two teams in the conference that I think have been, you know, looked look the same in both games. That's Alabama and Florida. So, yeah. we'll see what that looks like conference-wide moving forward over the next few weeks.
1: Absolutely. And we just got a locked on Gator's podcast. So of course we'll be excited to talk to them later down the line. But let's talk about this deep south oldest rivalry game that was a little lopsided on Saturday. So if uh, you could <laughs> if you could pinpoint two things that troubled the Tigers most, what would you say?
2: Uh, I mean the the offensive defensive line were I mean it was bad. It was yeah. absolutely bad. And you know, Auburn's been dealing with a situation where they've been able to recruit well consistently in the top ten, you know, around that eight to eleven um Ranking as far as you know where they've been under Gus Malzahn, but the issue is that they're constantly bringing in these two and three star offensive linemen, and in most cases, it's fine. But every now and then, when they play in Georgia, and LSU, and Alabama, that's when you can kind of see all of this come to fruition. It's like you know their offensive front is not where it needs to be as far as competing with nation's elite. And I mean, the left side of the offensive line, they're starting guys that they recruited to play defensive tackle. And, you know, Auburn's done that. They turned Prince Take into to, you know, a, a, an NFL lineman. Um, but h- outside of that, it's just they're playing with guys that aren't as good up front. And Georgia was able to do whatever they wanted. And, mm-hmm. I mean, just time and time again over the course of the game, that's going to wear you out. And, and then also, I, mean, I I just think defensively, I mean, I, I think you can lump pass rush into this as far as the defensive front losing in the trenches, but losing on third down. And, uh, you know, they, they could not get to uh, Stetson Bennett the fourth. And he was able to convert on third down Christian tut, Auburn's nickel back. He, uh, he, he really struggled in coverage and Auburn lost one of the leaders of their defense smoked Monday, just a few minutes into the game with a targeting call. Um, and it was targeting. I mean, you can say what you want about the rule, but that <laughs> he, he did target and and the way that the rule currently stands is, uh, you know, he's got to be ejected for the rest of the game. So, I mean, those were the big things. I mean, just losing leadership and then losing in the trenches consistently. I mean, th- throughout the whole 60 minutes, it was, um, it was rough it was absolutely rough
1: absolutely now let's talk about Bo Nix because there was a lot of praise about him going into the season but clearly he and his offensive line struggled to get really anything going would you attribute that to poor play calling or poor execution
2: um I'm gonna go execution here you know a lot of people are hating on Gus Malzahn and new offensive coordinator Chad Morris and a lot of the hype for Bo Nix this offseason came because they hired Chad Morris I mean you kind of covering the Tar Heels in North Carolina, you saw what Chad Morris did a few years ago when he was at Clemson. I mean, right. the, he, he, he constructed an awesome offense. Now, a lot of the doubters in the Auburn camp are saying, well, he had Taj Boyd. Well, he had Deshaun Watson. Well, he had DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, all, all these studs, right? Yeah. And you know, the jury's still out as far as what he's going to be able to do uh, at Auburn. I thought he did good against Kentucky, um, but he had better players on Auburn than the Kentucky did. So, you know, it, is that kind of what it comes down to? And I, I think it's too early to tell but Bo Nix, uh, I, I think I think when he is standing still in the pocket, he, he has some of the best arm talent in the whole country. The issue is, as soon as he gets the ball in a lot of plays, he's going to flush and leave the pocket to his right, mm-hmm. time and time again when he doesn't need to, and instead just step up and you know uh, allow yourself a little bit more time in the pocket and allow guys to, to get open. You can find some of those guys, but then again, you you see him actually you know play it correctly and, and you know step up into the pocket. And then his offensive line does nothing for him. You know, we talked about, you know, Auburn's offensive line kind of stinks. So, right. um, you know, when he does what he's supposed to do, it's like, well, you know, at least he has a chance when he, when he bails. And so from a coaching standpoint, that's just so tough to say, hey, this is what you're supposed to do when you go back and look at tape. And it's like, well, there's really nothing there consistently so that's going to be tough to see how Morris and Malzon deal with Bo Nix but as far as Bo Nix's talent and the guys catching passes from him I think that talent's there so uh the answer to your question yeah I think it goes down to execution so
1: how does Auburn bounce back from this big conference blowout and you know looking forward to the SEC and moving down the line when we're talking about college football playoffs and committees is it going to be hard to think who gets out of the SEC because everybody's good it seems like
2: yeah, yeah. Well, fortunately for Auburn, they play Arkansas next week. And Malzon, <laughs> if he can do anything, it's kill Arkansas by 40 points every time he plays. So um, I, I think that's good to get some of your confidence back. I mean, these guys got punched in the mouth, Candace. Yeah. I mean, and you know, <laughs> so, sometimes you see teams – um, respond well to that and sometimes you see them both and you know, like I said fortunately they've got Arkansas this week so they've kind of got some time to get their legs back under them but I mean before too long you've got to play LSU Mississippi State can beat anybody this year if you got them on, the, on a good week with what Costello's been able to do with his arm Ole Miss is scoring it will LSU yeah. it seems like they're kind of back to themselves so and of course you obviously got Alabama fortunately you wrap up the season with A&M they look terrible so we'll see what that looks like down the line but I mean, you know, there's, there's three or four games you're looking at, and it's like, gosh, how is Auburn going to win that game? And mm-hmm. so they've got to figure that out over the next few weeks before they kind of get into the thick of it. But the Mississippi schools are better, I think, than a lot of people expected. At least they look better than I expected so sure. far. Um, so that's two games that Auburn probably thought they had a good chance of winning, and now they're in the maybe column. So mm-hmm. outside of Arkansas and South Carolina, I don't really know how many other ones are like, sure, fire, you're definitely going to win those games if you're Auburn. So, yeah, it's about to get tough. What do you do? I don't know. I I think you need to shuffle that offensive line to figure that out. And then I think you may have to change up some of your scheme a little bit, especially on offense, as far as, you know, quicker passes. Uh, I don't know if it's more screen game or or if you just kind of stick to the running game a little bit longer and just hope it works out. I don't know. That's going to be really, really tough to see.
1: Absolutely. Now, I have locked on Aggie's host Cole Thompson on later, so I'm going to have to tell him that it's going to be easy dub for Auburn. I'm just letting you know now.
2: That's fine. That's fine. We got a few (laughs) months till that happens. But yeah, yeah, you could do that. Well, where can folks find you and follow more of your work? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Z Blackerby on uh, on Twitter. And of course, you can check out Locked on Auburn wherever you get your podcasts. We're part of the Locked on Podcast Network.
1: Thank you so much, Zach. And I appreciate talking to you. And I'll talk to you down the line.
2: Hey, thanks, Candace.
1: It's Monday, college football fans, so I'm going to need you to start your week off right. Add Built Bar to your grocery list for the week. Built Bar is the best-tasting protein bar ever. With 18 amazing flavors that are 100% covered in chocolate, Built Bar is even more delicious. If you're working on your fitness just like me and you are health conscious, you'll enjoy Built Bar because it's low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, and great for the keto diet. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED ON, and you'll get $10 off your next order. We got Jake Hatch from Locked On Cougars podcast. He's going to talk to me about BYU and I personally feel like BYU has been slept on. So I'm hoping today he can convince me why we should be paying more attention to that BYU Cougars team. Jake, how are you?
3: Doing well. Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Now BYU continues to roll as they defeated Louisiana Tech on Friday. Do you still feel like the Cougars are a team flying under the radar? And if so, do you like it that way?
3: I think BYU themselves likes it that way, but I think the nation's starting to take notice. We saw them in the national polls rise up to number 15 in both the coaches poll and the AP poll. It's actually the highest ranking they've achieved since 2009. So I think the nation's starting to take note of what's going on with the Cougars. And if you're Kalani Satake, you're just trying to just keep your guys away from that. But obviously, the nation's starting to take note. So it's going to creep in, I think, a little bit week by week.
1: Absolutely. Now, Zach Wilson has proven himself to be quite a leader for this team. What has impressed you most about this quarterback?
3: I think the biggest thing is he's healthy this year. He's had injuries both his uh, freshman and sophomore years, but this year he came in fully healthy, had a full off-season of work, and I know that COVID really wreaked havoc across the sport in terms of preparation, but by all accounts, he did a lot of work working with a former BYU quarterback in John Beck, who works in Southern California with pro and college prospects. And I think that what he's done is he's put himself in a position to where he is the undisputed number one quarterback in Provo and his play through three games is absolutely back that up.
1: Absolutely. Now, BYU finished Friday's game with zero turnovers, which is pretty rare in college football, especially this season and how they didn't get that preparation like you talked about. Why do you think BYU is able to protect the ball so well?
3: I think the coaching staff, they've preached it all along, even since Jeff Grimes took over as offensive coordinator three seasons ago. He has said that one of the pillars that he wants from his offense is them to avoid turnovers. He he absolutely harps on it. His assistant coaches harp on it. And I think this year through three games, BYU after Friday, I believe, is plus one in the turnover margin. They always want to be positive in that turnover margin, but it's just a credit to this coaching staff. they preached it from day one since they showed up here in Provo, and I think it's finally starting to pay off.
1: Right. Now, defensively, BYU has totaled 12 sacks in three games after only having 17 sacks in an entire season last year. What can you attribute to this major shift?
3: I think the biggest thing is Kalani Satake taking a renewed emphasis and a renewed role in the BYU defense. I think early on in his tenure, he was very hands-off, was letting Elisa Tuiaki, his defensive coordinator, uh, kind of take the reins. And they went to more of a passive, we're going to defend the pass run instead of really bring the heat. And I think Kalani saw that, you know what, we need to disrupt opposing quarterbacks because there have been multiple games during his five years as head coach at this point, where opposing quarterbacks have gotten way too comfortable in the pocket and have started just tearing BYU up defensively. I think Kalani took on a bigger role in the offseason, really kind of looked at what they could do, and they're bringing the heat. We're seeing more blitzes out of them. And it also goes to the, to the players' credit as well. We're seeing yeah. guys get sacks against three-man fronts and the like. So they're doing their part in terms of the players on the field. But I think Kalani Satake taking a renewed role With the defense, more hands-on role has really paid off.
1: Absolutely helps. Now, Coach uh, mentioned that a lot of guys grew up during this game on Friday in terms of making big plays. What are a few key things that BYU can still fine-tune to break them into that uh, top 10 status?
3: Well, I think we saw that the penalties on Friday had an uptick a little bit. They had avoided penalties similar to what we talked about with their turnovers uh, through the first two games of the season. But then we saw on Friday night a few holding calls and a couple of the miscues and those are other things they'd like to clean up there. You'd obviously like to see the defense uh, tighten up their coverage a little bit. There were some plays in that game against Louisiana Tech, the 66-yard touchdown in particular, where BYU seemed to over-pursue and just get out of their lanes defensively. So they can tighten up some of the things that are going on in the secondary, uh, where you have a lot of guys rotating in and out. I think also clean up those penalties. Those are probably two things they'll be harping on this week.
1: No doubt. So when it's all said and done, and you know we still have a lot more football left, but where do you see BYU finishing?
3: I think right now they added the games against Boise State and San Diego State last week, and those are probably the two of the most prominent games on BYU's schedule as it stands. Outside of those two, you would expect I think BYU to run the table here. Yeah, UTSA coming up this week. I think BYU by the time that uh, Boise State shows up on their schedule. They should be seven, seven or eight. No, at that point, and you would hope at that point they're probably flirting with the top ten nationally in rankings. Who knows what happens when the Big Ten, as well as the Pac-12, join the fray in terms of the rankings, et cetera. But I think for the time being, BYU just got to take care of business, win all the games that are in front of them, and then let the pollsters decide what they're going to do.
1: No doubt. Now, do you think you know being a BYU politics plays more into it when you start adding the Big Ten and Pac-12 teams?
3: I think so. And I think the, the, the perception is BYU is not power five, honestly. Mm-hmm. And that, that we've seen that with the other G5 programs. We've seen UCF make a run in the polls two straight years. They went undefeated in the regular season. And I don't think they got any higher than, what, eighth, if I'm not mistaken, in the mm-hmm. national polls. And I think there's a, probably a similar ceiling there for BYU. And I know BYU fans aren't going to be happy about something like that. But the reality is this is a power five world. And BYU is trying to really battle these big boys. Once you add in the Big Ten and the Pac-12 later this fall, I think you're going to see BYU fall back in the rankings a little bit, but I wouldn't expect them to fall out of them.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Now, where can folks go to follow more BYU news in you and your work?
3: So I've got two different accounts if you want to follow them. You can follow the show, Locked On Cougars. It's right there for you guys. Daily coverage of BYU right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. And my personal uh Twitter handle is at Jacob C Hatch. The show's also on Instagram and Facebook under Locked on Cougars as well.
1: Jake, I really appreciate your time and getting to learn more about those BYU Cougars and hopefully I'll talk to you down the line.
3: Absolutely. Thank you again for having me.
1: Final interview of the day, I'm going to bring on Locked on Aggies host, Cole Thompson, to talk to me about Texas A&M and what is going on in College Station here on Locked on College Football. All right, final interview of the day, Locked on Aggies host, Cole Thompson, talking with me about the team in College Station. It's been a roller coaster, so I want to hear his thoughts on it. Cole, how are you?
0: Candice, I'm doing good. You know, uh,
1: <laughs> A&M's not, but I'm doing fine. Hey, that's fine. As long as you keep it in perspective, right?
0: I think you got it at this point.
1: (laughs) So things started well for the Aggies on their opening drive as they moved down the field against Alabama, right? But it only ended up in a missed field goal. How frustrating is it for you to see the progression from the Aggies moving the ball down the field, but not being able to capitalize the points?
0: You know, it's little mistakes like that that I think Jimbo Fisher really harps on. You look at how the team was really efficient on third downs. I think that they weren't last week. So for them to be able to bounce back, and end the drive on a sour note with Seth Small, a veteran kicker who's been in the program for years, understands the program, <laughs> understands exactly what his role is. Those are moments that you can't get back. And you need to capitalize on them because I do think one of the biggest things in college football is winning early sets the tone for the rest of the game. And I think when you think about that, that one miscued play was just a plethora of later on miscued plays by a especially on the defensive special team side of the ball.
1: Absolutely. Now, did you expect this loss or did you even expect it to be that bad? Because everything is about perspective, right? And obviously they're playing number two, Alabama. So did you feel like they were going to be, go up against a challenge and actually stand a chance? Or are you kind of just like, let's just see how it goes?
0: No, I knew they were going to lose. That was something <laughs> that I went into this game thinking, you know, but I did expect them to be actually a lot closer. I had the score being 38-28. I thought that A&M would be able to hang. And for a while they did. Uh, the biggest thing that I took away from this is, There's so much area of improvement that we saw from week one to week two with this brand new offense with players missing time. It's something that I think is very positive for A&M, but there was those big time plays. There was five straight plays where A&M allowed over 25 yards for touchdowns, so... When you see that, that's the moment of weakness. Kellen Mond, even though he didn't have his best game, still had over 350 passing yards and three touchdowns. He did have that interception return for a touchdown, so you kind of negate one of those plays, but at the same time, you look at how the team really progressed. Anaya Smith had a really good day. I thought that the wide receivers, even though Young had a good day, I think Jalen Weidemeyer had a good day. It's now about getting a rhythm to limit those plays. That'll be the biggest key, I think, moving forward.
1: Now, you talk about Mondin saying that he has a good day, but a lot of people are arguing that the Aggies are still in search of their, like, school, or their top quarterback or their guy, essentially, for Jimbo. Because you know Jimbo's always been able to find those quarterbacks that he's turned into champions. So do you think that the Aggies are still in search of that?
0: Uh, you know, this is the biggest thing. When you look at Jimbo Fisher, he's always had his guy, and mm-hmm. Haynes King this upcoming year I think is going to be his guy. Kellen Mom is a product of the Kevin Sumlin era left over. They didn't really have a quarterback situation going into the year. Fisher ran with the likes of of Mond, and Mond was successful in his sophomore season. So I think that's played a big role of why he stayed and on board during his junior season. But now you look at what Hans King is able to do. He's five-star prospect. He's a kid who's coming in from Longview, Texas, a uh, lankier, kind of a more dual threat, but more pocket-passing dual threat type of guy, not really relying on his legs, but can rely on his legs. This is a Jimbo Fisher quarterback that I think he's going to be able to work with. However, because of the history of Mond, because how close he is in all the record books, I still see Kellen Mond being the guy for the remainder of the season, even though I do think Haynes King will see significant snaps moving forward. This is going to be probably a two-quarterback system to build for next year, but Mond is always going to have his chance to start because of his history with the program and what he's done over the past four years in College Station.
1: Right. Now, give me your evaluation of Jimbo Fisher. As someone who's watched him have success in the ACC, I think it's been very interesting to see that not necessarily transpire in the SEC. What do you think? Why do you think that is?
0: You know, the biggest thing is you're paying a dude $7.5 million to become a head coach at a program that is still trying to say we're competitive in a a conference that I think is probably the best in college football year in and year out. And it's all guaranteed money. I mean, that's $75 million guaranteed. You want to see the results. I gave him a lot of slack last year. Seven and five when you're facing five top ten opponents and three times you're facing the number one team in the nation, the first time in the AP poll history that's ever happened. it's only the second time that a team faced off against the number one, two, and three preseason-ranked teams in the AP history as well. So you give him a little bit of slack. This is now 65% his recruits. This is now 65% his players. This is now 65%... His roster built his way. You have to start seeing results. And again, it's, it's, it's an Alabama team that is always favorite. Nick Saban is now 20-0 against former assistant coaches. It's a loss, but this is not one of those games where I'm going to say, okay, it's a big deal that he loses to Nick Saban. It's when you lose to Dan Mullen. It's when you lose to Mike Leach. It's when you lose to Lane Kiffin in his first year at Oxford. That's when this becomes a problem. That's when I think the AM fan base has a chance to be worried. 18 and six, I think he's 18 and six as the all time coach at AM right now. That's not a terrible record, but this was the year that they were supposed to be a 10 and 2 team, an 11 and 1 team, and compete for the SEC West. The way the offense played in week one and the way the defense played in week one, they were not an SEC West contender. The way the defense played in week two, the way the offense played in week two, they're not an SEC contender. They have to find a balance between the both for them to be successful. And I just don't see that happening. The way that you saw them play in both their first two games, and now they're going to face against a Florida team that has an incredible offense with, in my opinion, the Heisman front runner and Kyle Trask. This is going to be a long weekend, I think, for AM. and it's going to be a long week weekend practices for them to be disappointed once again.
1: All right, Cole. So give me your hot take. Jimbo Fisher is on the hot seat. Yes or no?
0: No, not at all. Uh, <laughs> you, you don't pay a dude $75 million in three years Go. Yeah, we're going to give you all 75 to get out of the program. But mm. I do think in a year, if he still struggles, if they are a seven and five team going into year five, absolutely. He will be on the hot seat. Uh, I think this year, they're going to give him slack because of you know the, the way the world is right now. That's definitely a big thing. I think next year with his quarterback and with now four straight recruiting classes, now it's a whole Jimbo Fisher team. It's no mm-hmm. longer, you know, oh, we have a few guys. No, it's all you, Jimbo. Come on, big boy. You got it. I know you got it, big boy. Um, <laughs> after that, and they're six and six. They're seven and five. Then you look at him being on the hot seat. And I think very rightfully so. You don't pay a guy $75 million for eight and, two, for eight and four seasons. You pay a guy $75 million for 10-2, for 11-1, and one, for a college football playoff appearance, not Texas Bowl appearances. And that's what he's looking at right now.
1: Well, if you talk about a Jimbo and you're talking about recruiting, how are you going to convince me as a recruit to come to your university when you do have those eight and four seasons as opposed to an Alabama or, you know, these other guys that are consistently in the top of the SEC? You look at what
0: I did at Tallahassee with J- with Jameis Winston and with recruiting classes that were lesser than top five. You're in a top five recruiting class, and I have a defense that is top 40 on both pass defense and run defense, even though we had a bad game against Alabama. And also here, let's be real, Nick Saban's going to retire soon you're going to probably be here when he retires. So once the, you know, once the goat is out of the house, I become big boss of the SEC. You come play for me, help me make you big boss of the SEC, and we'll make Alabama feel like the little brothers that they've made us feel for this past seven years. That's well, they, all I said.
1: Yeah, they need you. Okay, you commit me.
0: <laughs> That's all I would sell it. I think that once Saban's got, this is the biggest thing. I'm an Alabama alum who covers AM. so it's okay. a very weird feeling for me whenever I talk about this game. When, when Nick Saban retires, it's an open casket. Good luck, SEC. Like, <laughs> that's the biggest thing. Every year, it's Nick Saban, and one person calls Nick Saban daddy. I mean, like, it's one team a year that gets to say, hey, Nick, I'm your daddy this year. Besides that, everyone else, Nick Saban's their own daddy. So, I mean, like, and I, and I know that's weird saying daddy, but I mean, like, <laughs> like no, I get you. He, spanks, he spanks the crap out of everyone on a weekly basis. So, I look at what AM is able to do. They can take him to recruit well, and once Saban's gone, which I do think he's just chasing Bear right now, and once he gets to Bear's status, and all he needs is one more national title, you're going to slowly, I think, start to see him separate.
1: Okay, so give me one to two things that the Aggies are going to clean up for next week as they go against another powerhouse.
0: You know, the biggest thing is, I think, establishing an offense and a consistent offense. You know, the one thing that I did see this past week was they were doing a one-two combination of a ice with an Isaiah Spiller. They kind of built off that from the week before, but they were allowing Kellen Mond to continue to build his repertoire with a young receiver core. I think another week with this young receiving talent. You got to remember, Mond lost all three of his top weapons, and Kendrick Rogers, Javon Osmond, and Courtney Davis needed to opt out of the draft all within a span of six months. So... For him to work with this young receiving group is going to take time. I think this is the week where we start to see more consistent rhythm and a more balanced offense. And number two, continue to build on that defensive line. That's going to be your bread and butter. Getting pressure on Kyle Trask is going to be how you eliminate the game. I think also watching Aaron Hansford this week and how he's going to be able to play in coverage, as well as Damani Richardson against a guy like Kyle Pitts, who's, in my opinion, the top tight end I honestly think he's the top target in the SEC right now, and there's really no other combination between those two. If you can eliminate how you play in coverage at that second and third level of defense with your your linebacker and your strong safety who plays in more of a zone coverage box and eliminate that, that's going to put more pressure on Trask. And then also just realizing that this is a weird year as it is. I mean, we just watched Oklahoma lose to Iowa State who lost to frickin' Uh, I think it was Coastal Carolina who, you know, who just beat Arkansas State, who beat Kansas State, who beat Oklahoma. I mean, it's a weird, it's a really weird year. Anything can happen. 2020 is just kind of that thing. Yeah. It, except the fact that you were going to lose to Alabama. It's a new week. You have, I think, the skill set to keep up with the likes of Florida. And if you make it a close game, I think that this is going to be something that really says More about the SEC in general, where we have a level of tiers. And Alabama's just at the top. And everyone else is kind of like right in the middle. And anyone else can win on any given Saturday.
1: No doubt. Well, Cole, I really appreciate your time. Remind folks of where they can continue to follow the Aggies and your work.
0: Just follow us at at LockedOnAggies. Subscribe to the podcast here on iTunes, Spotify, and get to any of that. Listen live on LockedOnPodcast.com. And follow us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson and at LockedOnAggies.
1: Thank you so much, Cole. I look forward to talking to you down the line. Thanks, Candice. Final thoughts of the day. We'll wrap up here on Locked On College Football next. Make sure you download, subscribe to Locked On College Football Podcast from anywhere you listen to podcasts. I want to thank Zach Blackerby from Locked On Auburn, Jake Hatch from Locked On Cougars Podcast, and Cole Thompson from Locked On Aggies Podcast for coming on the show today, talk to me about their respective teams, giving me the inside scoop. Like Cole mentioned, it has been a wild time for college football. Four AP Top 25 teams lost at home to unranked teams on Saturday. Number nine, Texas. Number 11, UCF number 16 Mississippi State and number 24 Pittsburgh that's tied for the second most such losses on any day in AP poll history so it's 2020 anything can happen you think your team has momentum going into one week the next week they can get blown out by an unknown team so you just have to go for it for what it is take it for what it is if you're going to give your coach a hard time maybe give them some grace we're all just trying to figure things out some coaches are on the hot seat more than others some people are all liking to be under the radar like BYU want to keep it rolling keep doing well and get into that converse national conversation more and more as they progress and stay undefeated or you can be like locked on auburn and just take it for what it is sometimes you gotta take one to the chin bounce back and get ready for the next week and keep it rolling that's all i have for you today again make sure you download subscribe to locked on college football podcast you can follow me on twitter at kenis cooper i love to talk carolina football of course but i will talk any college football team you have in mind just keep the conversation rolling be safe out there wear those masks and have a great day
0: you are locked on college football your daily podcast on all things college football part of the locked on podcast network your team every day